The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Good Morning New York. I am your host, Vince Rocco, and I'd like to welcome our listeners from the United States and around the world. Today, we're going to talk about, we have a very interesting show today. We're going to talk about if you are considering a career in real estate what uh, are the pros and cons? Everybody thinks it's such an easy profession to get into and to stay in, but in, in fact, it isn't. So we're going to run by uh, some of the pros and cons uh, just a little bit later with my panelists uh, today. But first, some of the news items. With 2017 here, many New Yorkers are now eagerly awaiting their bonuses, which generally get paid out in the first quarter of the year. While some employees may be guaranteed a bonus as part of their compensation package, the majority of employees are treated by the subjectivity of their firms for better or for worse. Much of the bonus hype comes from the financial services industry, which has a dominant foothold in New York City, but it's equally important to note that many in the city also work jobs that don't pay bonuses. In New York City real estate, many would-be home buyers make their decisions based on what they expect to be receiving in bonus pay. Overall, as many real estate brokers know, bonus season has a large sway on the New York City real estate market. With payouts taking place this winter, this spring will be a telling sign of how well the bonus season went. They may make their box office movies in Hollywood or record their Grammy-winning albums in Nashville or London, but let's be honest, no one's truly a big star until he or she brings their act to the city that never sleeps. New York City may not have the Kardashians flipping houses like pancakes in Los Angeles neighborhoods, such as Calabasas and Hidden Hills, but New York City sees an eternal parade of heavy celebrity hitters looking for that perfect Tribeca loft with its own private elevator or an Upper West Side co-op with cavernous rooms ready for a personal makeover. When it comes to the test of who really is who and who can afford luxury, new uh, construction condo that top $4,300 a square foot attract the A-listers in making real estate deals in New York City and 2016 saw the usual flurry of celebrity buying and selling more so actually than ever. Manhattan resale home prices tumbled by the most in more than four years, a sign that sellers are lowering their expectations in a slowing market where buyers have the option to walk away. The median price of previously owned condominiums and co-ops fell 6.3% in the fourth quarter from a year earlier to $900,000, according to a report Wednesday from uh, appraiser Miller Samuel and the brokerage firm Douglas Elliman. It was the first annual decline since the beginning of 2015 and the biggest since the third quarter of 2012 when resale prices dropped 8.1%. Manhattan apartment sellers who set aggressive price goals over the past few years are coming back down to earth as inventory mounts. They're adjusting to a market in which the number of resales have been dropping for five consecutive quarters and buyers are turning away from listings viewed as too expensive. The actor Mark Ruffalo has been house hunting on the Upper West Side here in Manhattan. He is recent, he has recently toured a sprawling six-bedroom Upper West Side townhouse at 161 West 
91st Street that got renovated five-story brownstone asking $9.99 million, a 6,900 square feet, and it comes with 1,600 square feet of outdoor space, including a private garden and roof deck. Details include high ceilings, a 1,200 square foot master bedroom level, and eating chef's kitchen that opens to the garden uh, with a glass wall, bifold doors, this all according to the listing. Every year, the New York Times releases a list of 52 places that travelers should plan to visit in the coming year. In 2017, uh, 2017's list includes many of the destinations you'd expect, like national parks, sunny beaches, and exotic locales. But there are also a few curveballs on the list, including, most importantly, to New Yorkers, the South Bronx. The Bronx, South Bronx is apparently one of the hottest tourist destinations of 2017. And so we're going to have more on that uh, in future shows because it's the buzz, really unbelievable buzz in new development and buzz in just now becoming an attraction uh, in the New York City area. The New York Post says another one of New York City's major transportation hubs just got the thumbs up for a massive overhaul and this time it's another dated airport. Last week, Governor Cuomo unveiled plans to transform John F. Kennedy International Airport or JFK as it's known into a new state-of-the-art facility. The revamp will introduce an interconnected terminal layout, centralized parking lots, increased flights, new lanes in both directions on the chronically congested Van Wyck Expressway and the state-of-the-art security system that would include facial recognition technology. A timeline for the project hasn't yet been revealed. After the New York Times dubbed the so-called Westchester River Towns Hipsterbia, I never heard that term, Hipsterbia, in 2013, profile of the area, uh, the county at large caught millennial fever. In the Real Deal's inaugural uh, Westchester Market Report, they explore how the county is no longer a land of just white picket fences and single-family homes, along with yoga studios and gluten-free bakeries. Rental towers are popping up in more dense areas targeting millennials, but by the end of the third quarter of 2016, developers had obtained nearly double the number of multifamily building permits as in each of the previous four years. Very interesting. Suburbia. Hmm. And finally, Compass is making a little more room in their executive suite. The venture capital-backed residential brokerage is finalizing a new hire for chief operating officer, sources told The Real Deal. David Snyder, who has acted as Compass's CFO and COO for the past year, will move into an exclusively CFO role to make room for the new hire. Compass is in the late-stage negotiations with this executive, sources familiar with the company said, and is expected to make an announcement in the next few weeks. The hire will also take on some of the more traditional responsibilities of a CEO, uh, included uh, with his new responsibility. The change was announced to some senior staff members at the company several weeks ago, but several Compass agents approached by The Real Deal said they had not yet been informed. So uh, time will tell who this person is and when they will begin at Compass. Anyway, as I said, we have an interesting show today. I'm here with Matthew Cohen from Core Resident uh, Core Real Estate and Perul Brombat from Compass is on her way, stuck on the F train. Terrible cold weather does nasty things to, to train rides. Anyway, good morning. Good morning. I think I was a little warmer than yesterday. Uh, I'm still cold here. Oof. I don't know what's going on, but it, it's just chilly, you know? Absolutely. I need some better winter jackets. I thought mine was pretty good, though, but you know, the, here, here's, weather. Here's the thing. Mine is really thermal and warm, but the minute you take it off, it's like all the heat just you know d- d- evaporates and, and, and the cold just takes over almost immediately. I actually have a mini heater at my desk in my office. Do you really? <laughs> we all share it. It's pretty sad. I, I've done that <laughs> in the past. Um, so before we get started waiting for parole, tell me a little bit about um, the marketplace these days. I mean, we're only a week into the new year and such, but uh, you know, rumor has it that things should be turning around just a little bit as we get 
closer to the end of this month and into the start of the official spring season, which always begins around, you know, the end of January. What's, what is your, what are your thoughts? The market's been doing well. I mean, it really, like we spoke about last week, you know, really picked up since the election, Um, you know, especially with interest rates rising, it's really put a little pressure on buyers. And, you know, even throughout the holidays, it's really just picked up because, you know, of those reasons in and of itself. But at the same time, sorry, I'm, I'm pausing because parole is in and she, she just looks so beautiful as always. Ravishingly so, beautiful. Just, oh, oh, my God, I'm, you I'm, guys. Good morning. I'm well, quite the color on you. What can I say? And you've, got, <laughs> <laughs> and you've got some suntan going on, too, with that white jacket. Oh, Work it, girl. I think it's the blue lights in here. Actually, it has it, nothing to do with um, me. <laughs> Don't know about that. So the cold weather might not be good for Vince and I, but it's oh, great for girls. But you know what? <laughs> I'm so happy to see you guys. It feels like it's been ages. I know. Yeah. It, it really does. We were off a couple of weeks and back last week, so it's nice to be back. But anyway, it's good to hear, though. But it, just quickly before we get into our topics, you know, with this interest rate, you know, clients of mine were asking me on Sunday, um, you know, how the uptick in interest rates is going to be affecting the market. And I said, well, it's only really gone up a little bit two times you know, since uh, the election, I think. I don't know how much more it can go up or how it's going to affect but the market. Even, I think it's too soon. Even though they are at historic lows, you know, it really has yes. increased a lot since the election. And, and I was with two clients on Sunday, and they both are not in a rush, but it's putting it's putting a little pressure on them, on themselves. Like, they are putting their own pressure on themselves mm-hmm. because of the fear of them rising again. But I think what I was going to say about the market in general outside of the interest rates is that if developers and, you know, sellers can, because there are a lot more apartments coming on the market this week and even at the end of last week, if, you know, those people can be realistic about prices and keep moving forward on the pace that we're going in the realistic category, then I think we can keep a very strong market even as interest rates rise. But what I fear is, you know, and I've seen it a little bit already, some, you know, new developments are coming on the market at, you know, astronomically high numbers again. And I just think that things like that will actually hurt the market. Yeah. And and you know, on the heels of that, we've got a couple of minutes before we go to our first break. But, you know, everybody has been asking me, and I get this question multiple times during holiday seasons. And then the, the question is, what are the best times to show your apartment for sale? For example, if you have a listing that's been on the market since before the holiday, before, say, Christmas and Hanukkah, whatever, is it wise to take it off the market for a little bit throughout the holiday when it's typically historically dead and then put it back on again in January? Or is it fine just to leave it on the market? And I, I, you know, it depends, I think, on a lot of things. But, you know, I never really know what to answer a client when they ask me this question. I feel like, you know, this conversation and the interest rate one sort of has the same answer as much as they seem completely unrelated topics. And the answer, like a good consultant, I have to say, it depends. And it depends is on what kind of property it is, what target market that that property is attracting. Now, what's happening both with interest rates and with apartments is I think that ultimately there's two very separate market segments that are that we're trying to reach as brokers, as developers, et cetera. There is the financially independent market space, the people who aren't, you know, their life is not dependent on interest rates, right? So that market is going, yeah, interest rates go up. Everybody who needs to get mortgages will drop out of the market. Then the bottom will fall out and we'll get discounts. So we're going to hold off and wait, right? The market that is starting to really bubble up and play right now is the one that actually does need 
to take mortgage take out mortgages. And so that segment of the market is saying, crap, I better jump in and buy something that I want to buy now, but I don't want to overpay. So because the 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 people who are cash buyers are holding off and the people who are paying with mortgages and getting mortgages are in the market now, what that really does, it effectively breaks the market into 50%. So what does that mean? What that means is somebody who's looking for mortgages is out there looking during the holidays. They don't want to miss a day. They want to catch the slower end of the market. So they're going to be out there looking. And if you take your apartment off the market, you're losing those people right now. The people who are not looking during the holidays or during the slow time right now are the people who have the money to sit on the sidelines anyway. So now looking at the overall dynamic of this, you then have to look at your property and say, is this the apartment that is going to be more appealing to that sort of luxury buyer? Or is it going to be more appealing to somebody who is actually getting a mortgage rate? Let's hold it right there. We'll pick it up on the other side of the break. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. I'm here with Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate and Parole uh, Brombat from Compass. And we're going to talk about getting into real estate as a career and a profession in our next segment. But before we get there, we have no. a couple of other things to talk about. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> Back in the 1990s, it seemed like every city resident worth its salt knew the ins and outs of rent stabilization, how to find regulated apartments, what protections you could expect, and when to know if a landlord was pulling something sketchy. These days, with fewer rent-stabilized apartments available and more newcomers Making their way to New York, confusion over exactly what this complicated, sprawling program entails is rampant, even for tenants who have already snagged one of those coveted spots. You know, people ask me all the time, so I ask you, how do you find a rent-stabilized apartment? And for the sake of the listeners out there, let's explain to them what it is, because some people don't understand the rent rules, you know, rent stabilization, free market, uh you know, whatever. So it just it's basically just a city incentivized apartment where the apartments can't go up um, in rent value um, more than what is established for that specific building. Um, this was set up in the eighties, I think, right? Uh, yes, seventies. Yes. Seventies, um, yeah. yeah. So it was. It's been around for a while, and it was really to make you know apartments affordable for everybody in the city was you know again the same discussion that we sort of are hearing years later now 
Um, and so some of these buildings, and, and you know, and also in, at that time, I believe, if I'm correct about this historically, because I wasn't around then, but... Um, <laughs> uh, Nor was I, actually. Yeah, no, exactly, right? So um, I love saying that. We're all I, I believe, yeah, exactly. But I believe back then, the city was such a different place. Mm -hmm. So I think it really helped these buildings to be known as the buildings that were being so good and benevolent in the day that they were offering their rents. Now, as the market is moved on and the city is so packed, um, you know, there, the, the, this is still an established rule for some buildings. And um, to find that is kind of like finding a needle in a haystack because a lot of these apartments, the reason why I think the conversation is not so prevalent is because um, most people tend to pass their rent-stabilized apartment to friend, to family member, to whatever. So they don't really come on market as often, I don't believe. And usually, actually, in a rent-controlled or rent-stabilized apartment, the only way you can pass it on is via family. Like right. a lot of, There are a lot of laws that pertain to that. Especially control. The rent-control ones are very yeah. difficult. Yeah. Right. But, but the rent-stabilized ones... Um, people, you know, I mean, it works well for everybody because the landlord doesn't have any gap in renter and, you know, somebody else comes in. The only time in rent stabilized that doesn't work is if the building is bought out and, you know, a developer wants to convert it to something else and is trying to buy out the But the in rent control, though, if, if somebody comes in to buy the building to convert it to a condo or whatever, the rent control mm -hmm. tenants get to stay mm -hmm. in the building uh, and they then pay rent to uh, the the new building owners. Yeah, absolutely. And their rent does not really ever increase. Nope. I mean, it's quite amazing. What's interesting yeah. about this topic specifically to us three is that we, you know, in primarily work in what most would call high-end mm -hmm. market. Um, you know, we deal with high-end <laughs> right. luxury apartments, and we all have worked and are working for developers. Yeah. And I think that their main goal is always to find those rent-stabilized and rent-controlled people and tenants mm -hmm. and try as hard as they can to get them out. But I actually like to look at it at a different viewpoint of a just a regular person and a real New Yorker. And I think they're really mm -hmm. great because they allow people in the city who work in fields like advertising and the arts and, you know, people who are older and retired and of a certain mm -hmm. age group, it allows them to still live in the great parts of New York. Yeah. And we have to appreciate that. And there's there's so many sides. I mean, this, this topic could go on all day because... You know, for instance, there's this awesome building in NoHo that a friend of mine lives in. It's a walk-up, but she has this incredible roof terrace with views in every direction, etc. And her apartment is a free market mm -hmm. apartment. Mm -hmm. However, in that building, it's, you know, it's what used to be Chinatown, actually, yeah. which in Little Italy. So this building has a lot of rent-controlled older tenants. Now... Unfortunately, the way that it, I mean, it, it's sort of one of those things where you can understand both sides of the viewpoint here. You know, the empathy in us says, you know, these poor people, like this was their home their whole entire lives. You know, they're now in their like 80s or whatever. And there's no way that we as, as a city should want to push these people out and take their homes away. Of course not. You know, at the same time, the person who owns the building is saying, yes, but everybody else is making so much money. I'm stuck with these rules that my great-grandfather agreed to God knows when or what have you. And so, you know, there is this, this pull on two ends where these landlords then create an environment for these people who are still living in these buildings that is so 
unpleasant, you know, like a shared bathroom in the hallway that never gets cleaned or whatever. Um, And these people have no other recourse but to live in these places that really it's kind of an interesting battle that you see in the city as this issue kind of, you know, gets taken care of. Um, in a way where it's it's good for everybody involved. Yeah, they're very complicated rent rules. Yes. Uh, regardless of uh, whether it's stabilized or control, they're very complicated and um, they're not readily available, as as yeah. we've said. Uh, free market obviously uh, wins the day, mm-hmm. uh, and that's you know just regular, regular what I call regular rental units where the landlord can really charge anything they want and increase. Or decrease at will yep. with no guidelines. So, you know, you got to be careful when you're looking for rentals. And as I've always said in this business, rentals are a lot more complicated uh, yes. than sales are. And, in and some you cases. know, and, and rent control is difficult to tackle, but the stabilized apartments, you know, they are they are there to find and as few of uh, as there are, um, if you find one, you have the solace of knowing that your rent really can't go up very high for, you know, incrementally every year after year after year. I can't remember what the number is because I haven't done one of these in a long but time. They're, yeah, but protected. it's really protected. Yeah, you extremely. Know? All right, moving on. And, and the flip side of that is the luxury market, as Matt said, that we mostly um, play in. As the global economy continues through a past calendar year that was marked by volatility and uncertainty, it's no surprise that many international investors are continuing to funnel their money into New York real estate again. Compared to real estate markets like Hong Kong, London, and Moscow, uh, real estate in New York City still feels affordable to international buyers. Why do we think that? Remember, well, we had all, a little bit of a, a drop-off I with international say, buyers. I would say that there is a distinction to be made in all of those cities. <clears throat> London, London is an outlier at this point compared to all the other big markets mm-hmm. because since Brexit... Uh, apartment prices in London have fallen and in fact are the biggest competitor for international buyers to us because the values there are down 10, 15, 20% depending on what people are looking at. And a, and, huge, so and a huge factor on top of that is that people in New York always complain about something like a mansion tax, but in London you have a luxury mm-hmm. tax and that they've implemented mm-hmm. and they've increased it. And so it's a lot higher, yeah. Exactly, right. so that is also scaring away investors. Right, so that's, yeah, so that's kind of like the con for London, the pro is that prices are down right now. Um, one of the issues that we have as the U.S. market is the dollar is exceptionally strong. Yeah. Um, however, wow. given market conditions, actually, the Trump election is definitely breeding um, breeding more confidence in the American market and how it's going to support. Well, I wanted to ask you, that was my next question. Will there be a Trump effect to these international investors or international buyers since the election and then obviously in the next several days when he becomes uh, inaugurated and becomes president? I actually don't think so. Um, I think that maybe at inauguration and when he actually takes office, there might be a little, you know, a few week area, like two or three weeks where the market is a little shaky. But um, just like when he was elected, I I think that there is that initial shock and effect. And then it just kind of goes back to the flat line. Um, And and I I hate to use that word because obviously the markets went, you know, we're a little volatile for, for a while after the election. But I do think that it's one of those things that people in general gets more scared by at the initial thought of it. And then afterwards, they kind of go back to their other way of thinking. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think that, I think the only thing we can all agree on, I think, <laughs> did I say think? <laughs> you said think um, Yeah, I know, right? Um, I'm thinking. I'm thinking out loud right now. Uh, I believe the only thing, thing that can be agreed upon is that um, as the ebb and flow of this new 
administration happens, there's going to be volatility, period. I think that there's going to be ups and downs. So while we will always get back to an equilibrium point, um, specific to this question, how will this affect international buyers? Um, I believe that there's going to be a faction that is more ideologically driven that may initially be turned off and just not want to support Americans, right? And then there's the people who are pragmatic and business-minded who are going to look at the Trump administration as financially something that is going to still always support the wealthy. And therefore, they're going to feel very safe putting their money into this country and to this city. So it, where that balance falls, it, the equilibrium point is what's going to be interesting. And I think it will shift a little bit to Matt's point. I do think that ultimately, after some major fears and major win, we all tend to get back to normal. Yeah. And, you know, what, what could potentially be in good favor of the stronger New York real estate market coming up is the fact that, you know, the stock market has been up significantly since the election and you know with a couple of dips here and there that's a huge indicator of the real estate market absolutely always absolutely unemployment it's the leading indicator actually that and the unemployment rate believe it or not is always exactly the same i don't know why but if you look at national numbers what you really see even in this city that that the the line of real estate health follows unemployment which is really interesting i also think just like always we can't generalize and if we're going to generalize investors like we just kind of did um you have to be a little more specific because from country to country whether it's chinese Mm -hmm. investor investors russian investors south american investors they're all going to look at you know the american market in a different way when it comes to trump but more specifically with new york they're going to look at trump in a certain way because Mm -hmm. historically for example you know certain countries have invested more in his buildings, for example. So with people like that, they might be a little more specific to their feelings about Trump as opposed to another country who, you know, didn't even think about his real estate before or or even his ideologies and his beliefs. So I think... I don't know if you guys heard this, but the mayor... Um, just really sort of showed a vote of confidence um, now that Kushner is playing a big role in, in, the, White in the White House. Yes, uh, that, you know, that the mayor did think that, you know, given both of their policies and attention and point of view about this city, that at the very least he believes or seems to be very sort of positive about how this administration will be for All right, we have to leave it right there. We'll be back after these messages. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. 
Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back with Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate and Farul Brombat from Compass. It used to be that 85% of apartments in New York City were co ops, but not any longer. Buyers aren't as willing to pay their higher monthly fees or deal with their persnickety boards, that's a word. Luxury co-ops, those selling for $4 million or more, were more sluggish than they've been in many uh, in any fourth quarter over the last fourth quarter over the last five years. Residents of co-ops, which are units in buildings or property managed by a board, aren't typical homeowners. Instead, the individual or family owning the apartment they inhabit, they own shares of a larger corporation in the building versus the actual unit. Generally, there is a bias against co-ops because they are more restrictive. The co-op inventory in New York City has become so stagnant that the number of unsold properties grew 20% higher in the fourth quarter of 2016. I was a little surprised by that. Mm -hmm. Compared with the same time the year before, and asking prices are being cut 10 to 15%. Now, you know, with all of these new developments, I understand how the, the split between co-ops and condos has changed significantly just in the years that I'm in the business. But mm-hmm. how do co-ops really recover from this? Because it used to be the places to live. Well, I do. I, I try very hard to relate the New York City real estate market to the rest of the country as much as I can. Because well, you can, yeah. It, that's the thing. It's very different, but I really do try and find similarities because most of my clients, and I find that most of our clients, do own real estate not only here but elsewhere in the country. Um, so it's always easy to speak to them openly about all the markets. And one relating factor that I found is that I kind of compare co-ops to houses in the rest of the country, in the suburbs that are not new. So I I found, you know, a couple of my clients have been talking about the suburbs and other parts of the country and how home sales have been down, or not down, but have taken a lot longer to sell the older homes rather than new construction homes, that those are the first ones to go. You know, the ones that people are buying now, homes off spec even in in the suburbs. And so I relate that to the co-ops taking longer than the condos and the new development condos especially um, because of the reasons that you were just saying. So so when I think about co-ops and what, you know, they need to do to change that around, I don't know if you're ever going to take the idea of someone owning something new off of, you know, just someone's mind and the attractiveness of that, um, especially the fact of a condo just having no true board approval. Uh, I don't know if you're ever going to take that away from someone, but what you can help with is these boards. I've been finding, I, I thought at the end of last year um, that co-ops would be more lenient. I thought that the boards were becoming a little more flexible and that they were allowing a little bit more and that they were going into a area where they were realizing this. But I've actually, <clears throat> excuse me, I've found the complete opposite. I, I found that a lot of co-op boards are cracking down more and are being even stricter. And it, it puzzles me because I wonder when you have so much competition and when you're trying to keep your co-op building at a certain level, why would you be doing that? You know, I think that 
as a real estate broker, what I think those of us who do this job very well are the ones who are really good with, uh, we're mutable people. We're, we're very malleable and we are willing to put our ear to the ground and really understand what's happening right now and pivot and shift and guide accordingly. I believe that that is such an important quality in any market, in any space, because look, at the end of the day, the real estate market is cyclical. So there's always this balancing act, I feel like, that's happening. If I were to look at it as a scale and weights, it's, like, it's almost like a, like, a, a, like a straight board where the weight slides to one end and then it shifts to the other and it just like keeps going back and forth. So right now, we're in a market where, you know, bright, shiny, new, we're so sick and tired of co-op boards and the way they're acting. The co-op boards, the quicker, to your point, Matt, like the quicker they stop lagging behind and holding on to something that is just not relevant anymore and recognize people don't want to deal with. Most people do not want to deal with the exclusivity of co-ops anymore. But these are the people who, a lot of the people who live in co-ops right now we're the people who appreciated the exclusivity and they're holding on to dear life to that idea, but this is so much more except, you know, exclusive and, and exceptional. And why would anybody want anything different, but they're not listening to what the market is telling and one, them. And one would say, you know, through many different market shifts in New York City, you know, in my experience and some financial crises, you know, you typically don't have issues in co-op buildings or with families in co-op buildings because as restrictive as they are and as persnickety as they can be, they really look and dig and make sure that whoever they accept in their buildings to share in the corporation to live in a unit in the building is qualified and is going to be comfortable should there be a situation, a financial, a financial situation. situation. Right. So you don't have the drama necessarily in co-op buildings as you can potentially have in condos because that's right. fee simple ownership. It's like owning a house. You either afford it or you can't. And if you can't anymore, right. you'll lose it. And going back to what we all said, specifically what Parole said about it being cyclical, because I could not agree more, um, cops have to be realistic about where the world is going. Right. Where the world is going is I'm constantly seeing more and more of my friends, people I know, my clients move from the finance sector to the tech sector. And, and, you know, specifically, like, one of my clients just actually left Blackstone and is now working at mm-hmm. Snapchat, something yep. like that. And that is the world where the world is going. Yep. And those tech people, like, not only do they like new, but they want where they're living to be easy. They don't want it to be a, a hassle because they have figured out in their tech world a way to solve almost everything. So they are much more attracted yeah, to the condo process because also, the co-op process is complicated right and not only that their, their finance financials are very different right mm-hmm. like i mean so many of my friends are tech creators you know like they are people who are owning tech companies in the mobile space and in the healthcare space and just about any space really and these guys don't have so much liquid they are you know their money is going back into their businesses and they're not attracted to co-ops for that reason absolutely so they can't live in co-ops but not only that i feel like the mindset of even people who are not in tech i just think that like 40 and below what you see is we i think the mindset of the younger generation is just different we don't care so much about exclusivity i think we care more about inclusivity you know what i mean like there's just a different mindset that the co-op process is not attractive to i do agree with vince though 
I think that having financial responsibility be something that they put on the forefront in co-ops is a great thing. Mm-hmm. If they only did that and got rid of all the other BS, yeah. I think that they would now elevate themselves into the into the game. Because Agreed. Agreed. here's the thing. If the whole point is let's really salvage our valuation and make sure that the building is safe and our money is safely protected, well, how's that working for you is the question. Because condos are appreciating so much more. So clearly your mindset is not working is the first step to change. And uh, agreed, agreed. And, you know, this brings up kind of what I was saying earlier with, you know, take two of, in my opinion, the biggest real estate markets in the U.S., which are San Fran and New York. So San Francisco, which is very expensive as well, you have all the tech companies out there. And, you know, these people who work at them want those newer construction in San Francisco, these, you know, great townhousey buildings that they have out there that they then make into these glass and open and, mm-hmm. you know, structural, interesting mm-hmm. places. You know, one of my clients was moving back here from San Francisco because their tech company actually moved here. Um, and, you know, he owns a brand new development out there. And so when he came here, I said to him, are you sure you don't want to look at this, this co-op? Like the apartment itself is exactly what you want. And he said, Matt, I have a new development in San Fran. Why am I going to not get a new development in New York? So, agree with parole. The, these co-ops have to change their thinking. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But, listen, just like we've talked about before, and we are absolutely going to do a show on condos and co-ops and the, and the comparing and contrasting of both, because if, especially if you're brand new in the marketplace here in New York City, transferred in, for example, you don't necessarily know the ins and outs of the differences between co-ops and condos, and there are major differences. We, we, we should do that as a debate team. We should oh my split God, up the panel on one, one half versus, and versus the other and make us hold our points about why whether a condo is better or co-ops. Deborah versus the rest be, of us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my, money, queen, my, sure. my money is on her. Co-op queen, yes. Co-op queen, yeah. absolutely. Actually, Rachel, I, too, though. Rachel does a lot of I grew up in a co-op. Like, you know, if anyone should be a huge advocate, I am. But well, there are the thing is there are differences, and you know they're they're you know strong differences out there, and they need to be put out there. Need to be understanding of what they are. And as we briefly talked about, you know, this morning around the table here is there are people who buy one versus the other for certain reasons, and even though you may be a big business person, listen, Hollywood stars, musicians, and politicians sometimes get turned down in Mm co-ops, and they have plenty of money, but it's not only about the financial picture; it's about a lot of other things, the paparazzi. Half of Woody Allen's movies are shot in co-ops. Well, <laughs> you know, they <laughs> got to give that credit. <laughs> On the Upper West Side, like exactly. Said, exactly. Times are changing. Right. right. <laughs> but it's a phenomenon that uh, you know that you know we, this 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 marketplace in New York City is completely different than any place yeah. else. Matt mentioned that earlier this morning, and you know it really is. So we'll break that apart. We'll we'll, we'll tear that apart. You know, in the next couple of weeks. But I want to get into uh, a little bit before the break, and then certainly the last uh, segment. If you're considering a career in real estate, to determine whether you should take the plunge let's look at the five reasons to be or not to be you know a real estate agent that is the question to be or not, <laughs> not to be. Yeah. well listen you know there are many many reasons why people get into real estate in the past and i think i've said this before it used to be a third and fourth career for people uh, you were, you know, in business as I was in technology sales, successful salesperson, you know, worked for 20 plus years in, in, in corporate America. And then you decide for whatever reason, I want to do something else in real estate as a passion of mine. So I'm going to do that today. 
and that was typical of most agents in the past. Today, you get uh, guys and girls completely brand new to the business, young, uh, right out of college, and enter the field. And what I find interesting is they're finding tremendous success for the most part. So it seems like, just like everything else in life, the tides have turned, the tables have turned a little bit. And so whereas before it was a second and third career, now it isn't necessarily. It can be a first-time career for most. But before we go to break, I just want to point out there are five things I want to talk about about this career. One is flexibility of the career. Uh, Two is money. Third is it's a very emotional business and, and, you know, being in it for a long time, we all know that, that what that's about. Career mobility, you know, what is that really about and, and how does that help or not? And last, it is hard work. It's not easy to be a real estate agent in this town. We talk about many different markets around the world and in this country, San Francisco, as Matt mentioned a little while ago, but it's very hard work as a real estate agent here in Manhattan. So with all of that said, we're going to go to break. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be back to break it down. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The reason I love real estate is because it brings people together and it bonds them forever. Sometimes clients will call me just to chat. It happened the other day. She called and said, can you talk? We talked about life in her world. She told me I had a gift and that I was a gift, which made me blush, of course, but I understand what she is saying. I have the ability to pull magic out of a hat and get the deal done for my clients in the end. My clients are my family, and I really treasure family. I'm Vince Rocco with CORE, and this is what I do. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we're back with Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate and Farul Rambat from Compass. And we're going to talk about considering a career in real estate. And I'm sitting in front of two very successful agents in this town uh, who have been at it for a while. Uh, and again, as I said before the break, it is not always so easy. It's a lot of hard work. So let's break it down. Let's talk about flexibility. What do we mean when we talk about the flexibility of a career in real estate? For those out in the hinterlands who are considering becoming an agent, not necessarily only in New York, anywhere in America. Well, I think that the typical work schedule for someone in the U.S. is nine to five. Like the well, Dolly Parton song. Or seven and, to seven. Well, I was going to say in New York, it's, <laughs> yeah, more like, seven to it's, seven. it's more like seven to seven. Um, but I guess flexibility when you talk about a real estate career is that you're not tied to a desk 
from that, say, nine to five. But what people don't understand is I always get these, you know, questions and comments that, oh, you must love the flexibility of what you do. And, and I'll, I'll say, I mean, flexibility in terms of what? Because sitting at my desk, sure, but emotionally and working-wise, I'm working 24-7. So, well, well, that's, <laughs> so I want to know, you know, I, most of my friends yeah, so come home from work. What, and well, that's kind of what this is about because exactly. we do work 24 by 7. Yeah. But just for example, you know, you can hit the snooze button on your on your alarm in the morning and not worry about, oh my God, I mm-hmm. got to be there. My boss is going to want me to check in at 8 o'clock, 8.15. Everybody's right. going to watch to see if I'm and running think, in late. I think those of us who come from a that's corporate it. America background mm-hmm. before coming to real estate, you know, my biggest attraction to real estate wasn't necessarily the flexibility that I wouldn't have to work as many hours or sleep in or whatever. Like, that was never my mindset. Mine but what it was is I don't have to deal with the political BS. Like it's not about, you know, did I show up at eight o'clock before my manager walked in? And if I didn't, what does that look like? And, you know, FaceTime, you know, for those of you who were around in the world before FaceTime was just a thing on your phone, <laughs> it was genuinely like, you know, how much time are you putting into the office that looks good that you're sitting at your desk even if you're just checking Facebook yeah unless you're working for a big team you're your own boss you're you're organizing your own business and you're working on your own clients so how you handle your business is how it's going to get well that's one of the things I wanted to get across it's and this goes back to my corporate days too it's all about time management it is and And you've got to be really good at that and be whether successful it's corporate in America or whether it's real estate, bottom line is exactly that. That you, it's not about how many hours you put in. It's it's what you do with your hours and how efficient you are with them. And sometimes it takes a lot of hours, and sometimes it takes little. Not every deal, you know. If I were to try to say, you know, every transaction I've ever done, how many hours did it take? Well, some I literally send a buyer out to look at a few open houses on my way to the airport to India for five weeks, I kid you not. Mm-hmm. And this person calls me while I'm standing in my check-in line saying to me, I want to put in an offer. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm about to go on a 14-hour flight and here we are and now I am just you know, making whatever it takes. So that, de- that transaction took two hours of my time and then there are ones that I've worked for years on end. So there's no direct correlation on on how much time equals money for us, but it is a constant effort. So it's by no means flexibility in a way where you're only working 20 hours and making millions. That's not it, how it, it works. It's all about what you put into it, you're going to get out of it, and whether absolutely. you're flexible or not, some days you have absolutely nothing to do, and that's acceptable. So let's talk about the money aspect of it. You know, when you get into this business, most people, again, coming from, you know, where I came from in the past, very big salaries, bonuses, all that stuff, you come into real estate and you get no money, you get no pay. Mm-hmm. You're only as good as your last gig. You only get paid when you sell something or rent something and the deal closes. You can sell a condo or a co-op today, January, and it may not doesn't close until April. doesn't matter how many years you've been doing it that for doesn't either. Matter. So even right. it's not like corporate America where, you know, 10 years in, now you've got more pay because you've put in your time. Right. For us, 10 years in, 20 years in, we could have a terrible year. So Which we do, yes. I, I can't tell you about how many times a day I get reached out to by people thinking about getting into the real estate world, mm-hmm. younger specifically. Um, you know, oh, my friend who's this age wants to get into it. What would you say to him? Can you meet with them? Mm-hmm. Um, I've also taught a few classes, you know, mm-hmm. over the few months and the last few months. And my biggest suggestion to people, my biggest advice is 
you have to be comfortable with the fact that you have no salary. You don't have a, you know, just a, a certain thing every two weeks. You, you don't have that security. And in order for you to feel comfortable with that, you have to be passionate about this. If you are not head over heels in love with real estate, like you are with your wife, husband, or past wife, husband, or boyfriend, or girlfriend, I suggest you don't go into this because the only way you get past the idea of the money aspect and then the fear of it is loving this. Like I, I love yes. this. I as, don't do it. For as the you money. know, I just stepped down from managing uh, uh, in my former role four and a half years as a real estate manager uh, of agents. And I used to ask two questions, you know, when I interviewed, you know, brand new people, whether they're transferred from other industries or just brand new, you know, uh, right out of college, two questions. The first one is, do you have at least two years of savings that you can pay yourself every month to live? Cause it's going to take you at least two years, maybe longer to get a business going. And two, are you really passionate about this? Or are you just looking at it because of the glamor and the million dollar listing guys running around making it all look so easy? Answer those two questions for me, and then I will tell you if I feel like you're cut out for this. Because quite frankly, it is not easy. And, and the know, money aspect, if you're running out of it or don't have enough of it, can get you very in a, in a place where you're not going to make any success. People really enjoy meeting with me to talk about the idea of the business, not to do my own horn. I mean, I like myself, but... Um, oh, but, we love and, you. And, and, yeah, we love I you, love too. You too. Um, but because I'm just very honest, I'm very to the point, to. and that and that honesty is that I love what we do so much, but it has pros and cons, just like anything in the world. And and there are days when I am definitely, you know, I have a lot of negatives thrown at me, and I have to figure out what to do with it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I would not have it any other way because I do. Love it. Let's let's move on a little bit and talk about the emotional aspect of this because, again, once unless you're in this profession, you don't really understand how emotional this can be, not only for our clients, but for us. Let's talk about the emotional aspect of it. We're definitely, and I I know Parole is going to agree with me 100% here, we're a real estate broker and your therapist. I mean, if I could absolutely tell you, and, and, and a parent, in fact, in some cases. I would say that that is our primary role. Absolutely, and, and uh, in addition to being a market expert and genuinely caring about your best interest, which that I think that second piece is not something. Unfortunately, even the people who know the market and know how to be your, be, be a psychiatrist, sometimes that piece is missing. That piece is so important. Loving this for the sake of it is the fourth piece, but. The the two pieces that we're talking about now is, yes, you have to be a market expert. Otherwise, all the care and ability to work with you in the world doesn't help And then you, you won't have the trust from your client. Right. Exactly. But our primary hours are spent psychologically helping you through your hurdles. And I don't say 100%. therapist in a bad way. No, no. It, no. it is my favorite but, part but of for, the job. Right. Me too, exactly. Me too. For people out there, I actually really like the fact that I can take two big things in my life, which is I do find myself to be an incredibly talented real estate expert, but I also find myself to be a really good person and friend. Yeah. And so I, I like that I can take my being a good Well, you marry those being. two together mm-hmm. in exactly. success. Yeah, my so care for, you, I would have put it exactly care for slightly differently. I would have said, yeah, Mike, I, I'm such a caring person who genuine, genuinely wants to help 
others. My and is, I'm really genuinely good at the analytics and the Exactly. And, and the those market. traits come out and your clients yeah. read that loud Absolutely. and clear. And my that's favorite, why they keep coming back. My Absolutely. favorite is when my client says to me, why are you pushing an apartment to me that's $200,000 less than my, mm-hmm. you know, than what I can afford? Because Don't you want to make more money? I said, no. no, I really just want you to be happy because... It, at the end of the day, whether you believe me or not, I love this phrase. Mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with you if you're not happy in the future. <laughs> I want to hear from you and hear that's how so happy sweet. you and are. And you know what? And that's, I think and that's how you get so, referrals. It's right. amazing, though. Exactly. And so people are so skeptical sometimes. When you are genuinely showing them 100% care, they go, but you're a real estate broker. And all I know about real estate brokers are they're these people who just want to make the deal and only care about themselves and all these negative connotations. And it causes cognitive dissonance for them and so my way of taking away that dissonance is like Matt said my way is to say look I know that if I help you make a great decision that you're very happy with you will then refer me business because they want to always know what's in it for me but you know what's in it for me is when you when I know when I have the peace of mind that you're going home every day going oh I love my home that makes me happy and that's that why genuinely we, makes me happy. And that's why we do yeah. this. It, that's it, why it we gives do me, this. It gives me goosebumps because me too. at the I, end of the day, if I go to sleep, I want to go to sleep knowing that we're in this for the right reason. Absolutely. And especially us three here, we're in this for the right reason because we really care about people. And I that's know. so important. All right, we have to leave it there. But I just wanted to end with saying it is very hard work. The money is not easy. It doesn't come as easy as you see it on television. So if you want to become a real estate agent, be passionate. That's the show for today. Thanks uh, to my panel. As always, you can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com or at vincerocco.com. For all of us here at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 